I can't tell you how I feel right now. Uh, last night was just a rich hour of prayer with the 30 plus friends who have been banding together each night since Wednesday night for the uh, 10 days of prayer. And I just, I came home and I just laid down on the bed and uh, <sighs> I just, I sighed in and out because I, I really sensed that God was with us and is with us. And it's, um, and then today to go through that, that reading together and to just uh, be struck, literally struck with the magnitude of this kind of a call. Um, I tell you something, I never wanted to be a senior pastor. Is that okay to admit? <laughs> I, <laughs> I actually remember, because I used to serve as the, the youth pastor at Modesto Central several years ago, and um, I remember after, after one board meeting, I, I, uh, I stuck around with Pastor Scarborough, and I, I just leaned over the table and I said, I'm thankful that it's you. <laughs> and that's not to say anything about board meetings or whatever. I, it was just one of those. Anyways, it was just one of those. And I remember driving home, and I'm like, God, if you ever want me to be a senior pastor, you've got to be the one to prepare me for that. I'm not, I'm not going to ask for it. But if you open up the door, then I guess that means I'm ready. And um, it was actually the summer of 2010, there was a, uh, a graduation service here for CVCA, a consecration service, a Friday night service. And, um, you know, Debbie and I were attending. And, uh, you know, we walked out to the parking lot afterwards. And I said, you know, like I said, I, I never really want to be a senior pastor. But if I ever were to be one, this would be a really cool-sized church to start with. And <laughs> you know, you got to be careful what kinds of things you say. Just <laughs> Anyways, and so that happened. 2010, and yeah, so God is good. You know, there's a promise in Psalm 37 that says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Glory to God. Yeah, amen, <laughs> glory to God. He's a, he is a God of his word. He's true to it. I have no idea why we're here, um, but I praise the Lord that we are here. And uh, the fact that we've kicked off our first few weeks here uh, serving together uh, with this 10 days of prayer has been so meaningful. And I honestly just feel like sitting down on these steps and just, I, I feel very humbled. I feel like Solomon who said, God, I feel like a little kid who doesn't know how to go in or go out. And, um, and so I just covet your prayers. And I thank you so much that you've given evidence of the fact that you are a praying church, a praying family. And uh, I pray that that would continue. Yeah. So thank you so much for your openness, your willingness to let a young buck like myself uh, give it a go. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm telling you, one of these days we'll talk more. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> we're going to get into the word today. We're, uh, we're, we're in part two of our series that we started last week, New Year, New You, part two. Last week we took time to be still and to listen, to draw close to the heart of God and hear what his heart beats with. And we discovered from John 3, verse 16, just the first few words of that, that God's heart beats with an everlasting love. God's heart beats with an ever-seeking love. God's heart beats with an ever-giving love. Amen. We remember this. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm curious, because we ended that message with an appeal just to pray that each morning this week, 
from last, yeah, from last Sabbath to today, that we would take time and ask God to bring us word every morning of his unfailing love. I'm curious to know how many of us have been praying for that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Have you gotten to hear the heartbeat of God? Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you, that's, that's the only place where newness is going to start. You want a new year to, to be marked by a new you? Well, it's not going to start anywhere else but being assured of God's love. And here's the reason why. Because, you know, whatever your resolutions are, whatever your desires or, or ambitions for change and, you know, modifying habits and things like that, if you're not assured of God's love first, that means that all you're reaching for change is an attempt, whether conscious or subconscious, it's an attempt to secure that love to yourself. And, that, and that's a fear factor. That, that's an uncertainty thing, but perfect love casts out fear. And so if we don't start with square one, being assured of the heartbeat of God, the everlasting, ever-seeking, ever-giving love of God, then friends, new year, new you, you can say bye-bye. <laughs> but take time. You've already committed it this week. Keep it going. Keep asking God to give you word of his unfailing love to you each morning. And so last week we talked about that heartbeat of God, hearing the heartbeat of God. And if last week felt, I don't know about you, but I, it felt like a, a warm hug around my heart. <laughs> you know, just hearing of God's love, preaching of God's love. I needed to hear that sermon. And so if last week was a warm hug of God's love, um, maybe this week's message could be considered tough love. Is that okay? Yeah? A little bit of a poke, a little bit of a push, because here's the whole story. John 3.16 keeps going. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. So if last week was hearing the heartbeat of God, this week, part two, it's seeing the heart need of humanity. And so let's pray together with that goal in mind. Gracious God, we know you love us. And so now we, we pray that you would love us hard. You said in Revelation 3 that him who you love, you also chasten. And so if there's a word we need to hear that may not necessarily be comfortable, if there's a word that we need to hear that holds up a mirror to our own lives, then Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes. And as we see the depth of our need, may we see the glory of your sufficiency. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, let the family say. If you have your Bibles open to John chapter 3, that's going to be our theme text again. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. You remember who Jesus is talking to, right? This is a, yeah, that's right. It, this is a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Nicodemus. The Bible says actually in verse, uh, I think it's verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. And so this is Nick at night talking with the Savior, looking for a personal interview and you remember the dominating question of this conversation is how can a person be born again? How can a person actually start over? That's what he wants to know. And Jesus is breaking it down. 
like he, he does nowhere else in Scripture. This is the discourse of discourses in which Jesus goes step by step through the plan of salvation. And in verse 14, he, he reminds Nicodemus of that familiar story from Numbers 21. So here we are, John chapter 3, verse 14, and, Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And just so we understand what is motivating this outrageous plan of salvation, Jesus says, he breaks the silence and says, for God so loved the world. The only way to explain this uh, unreasonable, even scandalous plan of salvation is God's amazing love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here's the phrase I want us to focus on. That whoever believes in him should not, what does the next word say? Perish. Should not perish. Now this is heavy. I want you to think about it. Jesus himself, in that very line, is really, an ex he's extending an appeal. And it's an appeal to whoever would listen, right? It's a universal appeal. He says that whoever believes, young, old, rich, poor, male, female, Jew, Gentile, whoever, it's an appeal to whoever would listen, whoever believes in him shall not perish. Now, I want you to think about the implications of this. If this is an appeal to whoever would listen, that you would believe and not perish, then what does that automatically imply about the people he's talking about? They are on, they're unbelievers. And they're unbelievers who are on death row. Now that's serious business if I ever heard it. John 3.16, this gospel that's tucked away right here, it, it impresses us with the everlasting love of God. And then it reminds us why we need that everlasting love. It's because in our natural condition, we are unbelieving, untrusting, and destined to death. That word perish, it's a very serious word. It means utterly destroyed, utter destruction, complete. And, and the, the only reason why Jesus is saying, hey, hey, uh, whoever believes in me doesn't have to die is because he doesn't want us to die. Now let me ask you a question. In scripture, what is it that deserves death? In scripture, what is it that earns destruction? What is it whose wages are death? Sin. Sin. Do you realize that we're not just talking about, I believe this is right or wrong. We're not just talking about, I believe God is true or false. We are talking about sin. John 3.16 is confronting us with the natural condition of our hearts. That we are sinners and we're destined to death. So I'm going to ask a question because I know <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that we are all familiar with sin. <laughs> 
We all know sin, whether by experience or awareness or... Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I'm going to ask a question that might seem very silly, might even seem insignificant and irrelevant, but I think it's a question we need to ask. What, what is sin? What is sin? I know it's a universal reality. We all know it. We've all been through. I mean, it's a condition that we deal with. So, so what is it? What is it? Separation from God. Okay. And what else comes to your mind when you think of sin? Transgression of the law. Okay. Violation of the law. Offenses against God's standard. Okay. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm humble enough to recognize that whatever I do conceive of sin is not the full picture. And here's the reason why I say that. Because from the very beginning, we have had an inability to properly assess our condition. We have had an inability to truly understand sin. Think about it. Uh, Rewind the movie in your minds back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve, they partake of the fruit Do you remember that conversation that God has when he says, where are you? He's looking for them. And Adam says, I was hiding. I was afraid because I was naked. And God asks, who told you you were naked? Well, well, I I, I took of the fruit. Uh, You know, remember the fruit that you told me not to eat? And, and And God says, well, how did that happen? And Adam says, man, you you probably remember this, right? The woman you gave me. She, it was her, and I ate. Eve's turn. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know, there's a pattern there. Well, yeah, the the most recognizable pattern is, it's not my fault, right? But the other pattern that I noticed this week was, I ate. I ate. When Adam and Eve were trying to fess up about their sin, They talked about what they did. They talked about their action. But is it possible that even before they reached for the fruit, even before they took that bite, sin had already been given way in their hearts? So even though it was a sinful action, they had allowed for sin to enter their heart. And so what was that? Essentially, they asked God, if if you could imagine a throne in your heart, They asked God to step off, and they would take that. Do you understand? That, my friends, is where sin begins. That is sin. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Maybe you remember this. God is moving through the pen of Jeremiah, and God says through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitfully wicked, I'm sorry, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Do you remember the next question? Who can know it? Whoa, from the very beginning, we've had a problem with recognizing our own need. We've had a problem with understanding what sin is. We're desperately wicked and we have no clue. 
So what is this? What is this? Um, the New Testament gives us some idea. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, you can turn with me there, keep a finger in John 3, but go to 1 John chapter 3, it's towards the end. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. All right, so 1 John chapter 3, a few pages, a few letters before Revelation. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, and this is what many of you were referring to when I asked you originally, what is sin? And many of us said, transgression of the law. Now, I want to read it out of the New King James because the English rendering here is a little bit different. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, the Bible says, Whoever commits sin also commits, what's the next word? Does anybody have it? Lawlessness is what's in my Bible. Okay. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. In fact, uh, the Greek word there is anomia, meaning without law. Nomos is law, and anomia means it's a state of being without law. So sin is essentially living as if the law of God doesn't even exist. Sin is that condition of the heart that totally disregards God's law. Now here's another one. Here's another one. Romans chapter 14. So go to the left. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, and we're going to take a look at verse 23. Romans 14, verse 23. Romans 14, verse 23. When you find that, go ahead and say amen. amen. All right, I still hear a few pages. All right, Romans 14, verse 23. Now, in the context, Paul is dealing with a very specific situation and how people understand each other when there are differences in behaviors, differences in convictions. But notice in verse four, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 23, how he concludes the matter. He says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Whoa. <laughs> whatever is not from faith, that's sin. Now, there's an Adventist author named George Knight. He wrote a book called Sin and Salvation. And in that book, he, he presents two different approaches to understanding sin. He says one approach is the quantitative approach. I know, really big word. <laughs> quantitative approach. It's, a, it's an approach to sin that, that itemizes sin, that compartmentalizes sin. It's saying, well, sin is this, sin is this, sin is this, sin is this. But then he says there's another approach to understanding sin, and it's the qualitative approach. Meaning sin, while it does have specific aspects that itemize dimension, sin is also a quality or state of being. And for some of us, we might say, oh, okay, if you're, if you're just saying whatever is not from faith is sin, or uh, sin is just living without the law of God, you're avoiding specifics, you don't want to get into the nitty-gritty. But here's the reality. When you actually move from the quantitative approach to sin to the qualitative approach to sin, that's actually expanding the picture of sin infinitely. Because no longer is sin just over here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Sin is the very core of who we are. 
I don't know about you, but that's not good news to me. <laughs> that's very uncomfortable news to me. Whatever is not from faith is sin, which means, I remember the very first time I, that this really struck me. You know, I was, I was trying to develop some good habits in college, and then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, even the good things that I'm doing, when it's not motivated by a trust in Jesus, when it's more out of my self-sufficiency, my pulling up my bootstraps, etc., even those good things, when they're not from faith, is sin. And suddenly, I realized that I am just broken to the core, rebellious to the core, taking after my parentage in the Garden of Eden, asking God to step down so that I could have the seat. And that's not a pretty picture. But that's the real picture. Amen. You see, there's a danger in underestimating sin. There's two, two central truths that I want us to just kind of nail down today. Two nails, I guess you could say, that I want to securely fasten. Central truth number one, sin is more complex than we think. Sin is more complex than we think. Again, it's not just a, a bucket list, or a, it's not just a, a few things, specifics. While there are specific aspects to sin, that's not the full picture. There's more to it, as we've discussed. Whatever is not from faith, that is sin. And so sin is more complex than we think. And there's a danger to underestimating the complexity of sin. It, it, it's almost as if, I mean, when you're, when you're trying to assess what's wrong with your car, you're not going to, I guess what I'm saying is, whatever solution you hope to provide, it depends on your true assessment of the problem. You're not going to put new windshield wipers on your car if you've got a bum transmission, right? You're not going to give band-aids to the cancer patient. If you truly don't understand your situation, if we truly don't understand the complexity of our need, then that directly impacts our comprehension of the solution. And so in another way, if we simply itemize sin, guess what that means about our view of salvation? If sin is just a few behaviors here and there that I can really lock down, then salvation is going to be the adjustment of those behaviors here and there. And guess what? I can lock that down too. Yeah, we can fool ourselves into that, right? That, that's the mentality. And that's the danger. Exactly. But here's the thing. If, on the other hand, sin is not just a list, if there's more to it, if there's more to it, and there is more to it, if our problem is the very core of who we are, then our understanding of the solution is the complete overhaul of who we are. You want to say it like this, it's not correction we need, it's conversion. We're not just bad people who need to be good. We're dead people who need to be resurrected. Wow. 
And so sin is more complex than we think. It's more complex than we think. But guess what? Central truth number two. Salvation is more complete than we could possibly think. Salvation is more complete than we could possibly think. Here's three power promises. Three power promises. If you want to write them down, you may. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You can look it up. You may even be able to recite it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, <laughs> the operative word is and, okay? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, Jesus is not just interested in forgiving. I mean, forgiveness is huge. Don't get me wrong. And I hope to spend a series on forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness between us and God, but also forgiveness in our human relationships. But forgiveness is not the full picture. Jesus doesn't just want to say, hey, I release you from the guilt of these things. I release you from the penalty of these things. He's saying, I want to cleanse you from the residue of these things. I want to cleanse you and free you from the power of these things. Again, it's not just modifying externally. It's overhauling the very core of who we are to forgive and to cleanse. Another power promise, power promise number two, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. This is so powerful. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, still looking. <laughs> Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Maybe you're waiting for me to read it. Romans 5, verse 10, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, good, good. Romans 5, verse 10, Paul says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. What are the next two words in your Bible? I love it. <laughs> if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now watch this. The death of Christ was sufficient to pay the penalty for all our sin. Now that in itself is incomprehensible, amen? I mean, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But do we realize this morning that Jesus is not just the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is the high priest who actually lives on our behalf as well. He says, Paul says, hey, look, the death accomplished much because it brought us into reconciliation. It brought us into a place where we could walk with Jesus, where we could walk in oneness with God. But much more, having now been at one with God, we shall actually be saved by his life. Amen. Wow. So Jesus lives in heaven, not just as a heavenly carpenter making nice rooms for us, although I'm thankful that he does, okay? He, he's, more than, he, he's more than that heavenly carpenter. He is our high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us, which brings me to power promise number three, Hebrews 7. Go to Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7 and verse 25. I'm thankful that salvation is more complete than we often think. Hebrews 7, verse 25. 
If you're there, say amen. All right. If you don't have this underlined, I suggest you'd underline it now. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Hebrews 7, verse 25. The Bible says, Therefore, he, speaking of Jesus, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Oh, what a precious promise. First of all, that Jesus is not in the tomb. He is alive, and he lives on our behalf. Now, this verse tells me that he always lives for a particular purpose. At the very end, it says he always lives to make intercession for us. That means we never have to stand alone. We have an advocate with the Father. We never have to stand alone. But notice the first line, therefore... He is also able to save to about 75% of what we need. <laughs> he is also able to save to, like hand sanitizer, you know, 99.9% of the bacteria of sin. No. He is also able to save to the uttermost. The word picture in the Greek is really heavy. It's reaching to the very end. Jesus' saving power reaches to the very depths of our need. And so some of us, if you're like me, if you're like me, you underappreciate the power of Jesus to save. To repent is a gift from him. The salvation that Jesus offers to us is just as complete as sin is just as complex. And so the gap is bridged by an amazing Savior. Amen. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. The next two weeks, we'll talk about those last, two, last three words, but have everlasting life. Oh, I guess that's four. But have everlasting life. We're going to talk about the life in Christ. What does that really mean? What does that really look like? How do I walk this new year as a new me? It starts with being dumbfounded and struck by the scandalous love of God. It includes seeing the heart need of our own sin. And we realize that today, that though sin is complex, salvation is complete. Amen. You know, I don't know, I don't know your stories individually. I don't know the struggles, the issues. I don't know the indifference. I don't know the softness of your heart to the words of Scripture. And I don't know how many of us today are sensing the rawness of our need for a Savior. 
But today I just want to make an appeal to you. That you would ask Jesus. Last week we asked him to, to bring us word morning by morning of his unfailing love. And I don't want us to stop that. But this week, I want us to add another prayer. That God would search our hearts and know us. If you want to write down a verse, here it is. Okay, last week it was Psalm, what was it? Psalm 143, verse 8. Psalm 42, verse 8. And Romans 5, 5. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, good, good, good. This week, here's the prayer. I'm just going to give you one. If you want to respond to God and say, yes, I need to see my need for a Savior. Here's the prayer, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. We've mentioned this already in our times of prayer together throughout the week, but Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, David is simply praying, search me, O God, and know my heart. And he doesn't say this, but I know he's thinking this, because I have no idea what's in the depths of my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Try me and know my inmost thoughts, the very motives of what drives me, the impulses, the springs of my life. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You pray that prayer and he'll do it. And he's not going to do it like, see, I told you so. No, that's not the God we serve. Remember, his heart beats with an everlasting love. His heart beats with an ever-seeking love. His heart beats with an ever-giving love. And so be assured of that love as you pray that prayer. And ask him, ask him, because you don't want anything between me and my Savior. You want newness this year? It's got to start with being real with who we are and who God is. And so pray that prayer this coming week. And see how God reveals it. You may be saying, ah, come on. I've been in these pews for years, even before you were born. I've got underwear older than you. I had an an elder tell me that. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. You can, I'll edit that in the recording. Okay. Debbie will reprimand me later. Okay. (laughs) You, You might be saying, you know, I've done that. I say that, you know, I've been there, I've done that. Yes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells you know, I've been there, done that. But here's the thing. The depths of our need are infinite. That's why the heights of God's salvation is infinite. (laughs) You know, you read in Ezekiel 36, where God promises to give us a new heart and a new spirit. That's a powerful promise. And then later on, after God says you'll have a new heart, after God says you'll have a new spirit, he actually tells us that you're going to come and repent. That you're going to come and confess. Wait, wait, wait. I thought you've given us a new heart and a new spirit. Here's the point. When we ask for newness, there's always going to be more newness. When we ask for God's salvation, there's always going to be greater need. And so just as our need is infinite, God's salvation is infinite. And so you may be saying, I'm not so sure. Pray the prayer. Ask God to search you, and the need will rise. But realize that this is coming from the God whose love is everlasting. Amen. And the next few weeks, we'll talk about that 
they shall not perish, but have everlasting life. All right. So if that's, if that's your decision, you say, yeah, you know what? I want to be honest with God this year. I want to let this new year be a year of, of letting God search me, of letting God help me know myself so that I could see my need for a Savior. If that's you, go ahead and just raise your hand to heaven and say, yeah, amen, amen. We're going to pray together. God, you're so gracious. How could you know everything about us and love us like you do? With fear and trembling, God, we come before your throne because we know that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And I pray that this week we would grow the habit of letting you search us. God, I pray that as we do, we would find that our oneness with you deepens. God, I pray that as we do, we would even find that our understanding and acceptance of those around us would broaden. As we become more honest with our own weakness, let us be more loving towards the weaknesses of others. God, I pray that this would change us, uh, this experience of, of letting you search us and know us. That it would really be um, effective towards the journey to newness. I thank you for what you're going to do by faith. I thank you that you will answer this prayer. I thank you that you will lead us in the way everlasting. Because we pray in the powerful and saving name of Jesus. Let the family say... Amen. Amen.